So a few weeks ago, uh, Stella, Ruthie, and I, and our dog, and a butterfly, that's a whole other side story. I'll tell you about it afterwards. <laughs> I can tell you about it afterwards if you want to know, uh, know the story. But uh, uh, we went on a second part of our vacation, and many of you before and after kindly asking, well, where are you going? And I felt a little funny when I told people where we were going. We were going to like, southern Minnesota and northern Iowa. That's not like, like an overly exciting, a silly vacation destination. But we were going over uh, in that direction, partly because we were going to spend some time um, in Mankato, where Sal and I uh, went to school and, and met, and we wanted to go to some of our favorite sites. We go to Mankato often for uh, church things, because our church body's based there, but usually I'm in meetings till 5 o'clock. So we wanted to like, actually go and like, hang out at some of our favorite pl- places. But also, a big part of the reason why we took this trip was to see people, to see friends and family that we haven't really spent much time with for a while to reconnect. Um, I, I, I dubbed it our relationship to, to reconnect some old relationships we haven't really seen for a while. You know, seeing friends is, is fun, but I've also realized seeing friends is necessary. God wired us for friendship. We, we, we need people. And unfortunately, in our world today, having friendships seems to be getting harder and harder, and our world seems to be really feeling the effect of it. I was just did a little research this last week, and there was a study that was done in 2018. So keep in mind, this is pre-COVID, right? That around half of the people in the U.S. reported sometimes or always feeling lonely. And I know maybe it's one of those things we don't necessarily like to admit that when you feel lonely, but, you know, if the facts bear out, if that stat bears out, then good chunk of us in here feel lonely often. And actually, and then, and COVID made it worse. Now, th- those stats have gone up. And as we get into our lesson today, one of the things that, that we can admit, and it really encourages us to admit, which is a challenging thing, is sometimes being a Christian can make it worse. Sometimes trying to live out your Christian faith can, can result in feelings of isolation or loneliness, which is why this lesson is such a blessing because it gives us an opportunity to really think about friendship, to see what it can do, to be encouraged, to be intentional about it. You know, I mean, what's the old saying? If you don't make time for friends, you won't have any, right? To be intentional about friendship and to embrace the power of friending. The lesson we have, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. It says, May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Now to really appreciate what's being said in this message and kind of the tone of what's going on here, it's good for us to to take a step back, see where these words come from, and what's going on with the writer and then the receiver of these, these words. So this is part of the the second letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a younger pastor named Timothy. And Paul and Timothy's relationship in some ways is, can be, be connected or, or similar to Pastor K's and mine. So you think about how I came here as a student pastor, as a vicar. So he's really been my mentor. We, he and I have worked closely together now for over a decade. And he has really taught me quite a bit. And I still look to him for, for many questions and things because he has so much more experience and wisdom and so on. So similar thing with Paul and Timothy where Timothy really learned underneath Paul. Paul mentored him. Paul gives him a lot of directives for the church. The first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that we have in Scripture has many of those those church directives. 
This second letter, though, has a bit of a different tone. There's still some directives for the church, but now Paul is at a point where he is in prison again, and at this point, it's really not looking good. He's realizing that he is likely going to leave this world soon. He's likely going to die soon. So you can see a heavier sense, a, a more personal tone in a way to this letter. He encourages Timothy to give greetings to people in Ephesus. He encourages Timothy to come and see me soon, see Paul soon, because he's missing him. But there's also something that we see as we get into our lesson. In our lesson, he talks about Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed of him and searched hard for him until he found him. This was in contrast to what almost everybody else had done. At this point, because Paul was in prison again, most of the people had deserted him. Most of the people had become ashamed of him, and he was feeling really lonely there in prison. And just, just to let, just to let that, that sit, that the guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament and the latter part of his life is sitting in a jail feeling very alone. And it invites us then to consider in what ways, as a Christian, do, do sometimes we feel alone or isolated? And beyond just the, the, the basic aspects of life where sometimes we're, we're alone and isolated. You know, sometimes when you live your life of faith, and people around you don't hold those shit same values. And, and, and I know, especially, I, t I hear conversations from, 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 from people, or I have conversations with, with many of you, where you, you talk about how your workplace is, is very not Christian, and, and maybe people are outraged about something, and you're there quietly holding a different viewpoint than other people because you believe in what the Bible says about an issue. And, or, you know, you can have these senses of, of, of isolation in your workplace, or maybe... Maybe, you know, we're approaching the holiday season coming up and certain topics may come up at the dinner table with family and you just pray they don't because you don't want to be the only person who, who believes the one thing and everybody else is saying the other thing. It can be really challenging to be in a non-Christian world. But this lesson also actually takes it a little further. We want us to think about people who claim the title of Christian who also maybe are the cause for some isolation now. I, I think back, I remember when, uh, when I was in high school, and I was really just starting to take my faith, faith uh, seriously, and I was speaking up a lot about it. And I remember sitting in history class, and my teacher made a statement that didn't fit with God's word. He said, "You know," I, he said, "We're not." He goes, "We're not going to talk about religion in this class." But I just want you all to know where I stand, which is then talking about religion. And he said, "I believe that all religions are the same. Every god of the, god of the, you know, the Islam god, Christian god, it's all exactly the same. There's no difference." The differences don't matter. And I raised my hand and said, teacher, that's, that's, not, that's wrong. And I, we had this debate. He actually got the principal down because they thought the principal could shut me up. Didn't work. Um, <laughs> so we're having this debate back and forth. And uh, I look back at that somewhat fondly because I wrestled with the, the, the principal. And, and I think we ended kind of in a draw. But... One of the side challenging things to that memory, though, is I remember there were a couple of kids in the class who either went to my church or went to other churches in our community who I know believe the same thing. And their eyes, as they looked at me, were this, like, mix of sadness of, like, Nate, I, I, I agree, I know you're right, but there's not a chance I'm saying anything. And in that moment, there was, like, an aspect of isolation, right? Because I knew that they believed the same thing, 
But that can happen not just like in a high school classroom. I mean, it can happen in other aspects of life. Maybe you are around, it's not just non-Christians, but maybe the more challenging thing is when, when you are there and you speak up because of your faith and you have a Christian brother or sister next to you and as you speak up, you can just sense them kind of itching away because they don't want the same spotlight. They don't want to be part of that debate that, that, that you're having. Or maybe, sometimes it can be when you're, you're with a group of Christians and maybe the activity or the conversation is going in a direction that isn't Christ-like. And so you want to redirect it. And you might think, well, Christians shouldn't be doing overtly, non overtly sinful things. And you're right. But sometimes, in the name of updating each other, Christian conversation can become awfully gossipy or self-righteous. You know, in the name of righteous, this is what we, you know, this is what God wants, right? How often do conversations become picking apart other people? They do. Right? It's like a pastime to complain about people and things. And as a Christian, we should recognize that and want to redirect it and talk about what is up, like, and, and encourage people, pray for people, right? If you are in a group of Christians and you want to redirect the conversation in a positive way, that's sometimes even harder than if you were surrounded by non-Christians. Because to be the Christian who tells the other Christians that we should be doing it differently is a really hard thing to do. Sometimes isolation as a Christian comes not in those ways where people are necessarily doing anything wrong, but sometimes it comes as you are simply trying to live your faith more the way God calls you to. I will, uh, as I think about this lesson, I'll be honest that, that sometimes ministry, being a pastor, can feel really isolating. Because not only am I working to, to, to serve the congregation, but I'm also wrestling with my own sinfulness. And that's a hard thing. Or sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody and they share something really personal. And then, you know, you go home and I have all these things in my head that I would love to be able to share at the table and I can't. Right? Because it's somebody else's story and I can't share it. But it's not just the pastor things. You know, as you live your life of faith, you could run into those same sort of things where your personal struggle can feel isolating. You Maybe someone... And he confides to you when it's isolating, or, or maybe you're simply trying to step forward into your vocation. Your vocation, whether it be your, your, your work, or maybe it's, it's parenthood, you know, where now instead of going out with your friends and watching the game like you normally would, you got 7 o'clock bedtime because you're taking care of the kids. And instead of being out with those friends, you're, you're, you're at home and you're doing what you should do, but it just makes it really hard to keep those same friendships. Or maybe as you get a little older in life, maybe it's, maybe it's the grandkids want you to come to Sunday morning soccer game, but you say, but I, want, I need to go to worship. And so then there's a little wedge because, well, why aren't you at my, well, I'm at church. And I'm worshiping my Lord. There, there's a number of ways where simply by going, or maybe it's you recognize God has called you to, to serve him in a different way, or to maybe to, to make a career move because you think you can make a better impact here and maybe that will separate you from the friends you've had or maybe that means even a physical move away from people that you've grown up. It can be a variety of ways. There are many ways that we can, as we try to live our life of faith, end up feeling isolated. Which is why it's such an opportunity, such a blessing to see the power of friending of what can happen with intentional friendships and friending in this lesson. 
Paul, he, when he talks about Onesiphorus, he says, he often refreshed me. This is a really cool word picture. In the original language, it actually means like, like to basically like to breathe on or to make wind come upon somebody. Uh, or literally says to breathe up. So think about, you know, today is not a good example of a hot day. But think a few weeks ago or middle of summer when it's hot out and you step into the air conditioning and it's, right? Or you get in front of a fan and that just, it's like a weight off, the humidity goes and you're just feeling so much better. You know, or one of my favorites is like, say if you've been hiking, um, you know, we love to go to Door County, we like to hike, you know, and, and then you sit down on a rock like by the water and the wind blows in off the water and there's nothing like on a warm summer day with a cool breeze off the water and it just, and it just, you breathing in and you just feel yourself being lifted up, right? This is what a friend can do. And maybe you've even experienced it where, where gosh, you're feeling down. And that person calls you, that person stops by, chats for a few minutes, and where you were down, it's just... Just lift it up. A friend coming to seek you out can refresh you like the breeze off the water, like the AC on a hot day. Can take you where you were crushed down and just lift you right up. That's the power of friending. That's what Onesiphorus did when he was not ashamed of Paul and when he searched hard for me. Now, as I think about Onesiphorus not being ashamed and searching hard for me, I can't help but also think about how so many people were ashamed and did the opposite of seeking hard for Paul. You know, when someone's ashamed, like when some, like the, the, the people there, when they heard that he was in prison, distanced themselves from Paul, like, nope. I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. Or think about how they did the opposite of searching hard for him. <laughs> have the sorry we're close sign up here. Do you ever have, um, do you ever have when you go up to a store and they're about to close and it's like the person inside just can't wait to put up the close sign? Or last year, Thanksgiving Eve, after I got done preaching on a Fort Atkinson campus, I stopped by to get some food at quarter to nine. Hi, I'd like to order a burger. We're done serving beef for tonight. What do you mean? You're Burger King. You're open for 15 more minutes. What is this? But sometimes people can be that way when it comes to friendships. And this is maybe the one that convicts me is I realize I know I want to help people. I know I want to be a good friend to people. But sometimes we get so busy that instead of doing like what Onesiphorus did and going the next level to try to help somebody out is maybe you make an offer. I'll help you out here. And as soon as it doesn't work, all right, moving on, because I got stuff to do. You know, do you, ever, do you ever find yourself doing that, where you know you want to be that friend, and you talk about it, but we just get so consumed in our own lives that it's like, yeah, we're open for business, but as soon as it doesn't work out with our schedule, close signs up, and we're off to the next thing. See, that's the thing as we think about this lesson, too, is we have to be honest that while sometimes we feel isolated, sometimes we're part of why other people feel isolated. Because we don't be the friends. You know, the phone goes both ways. They've never called me, but have you called them? Sometimes it can go both ways, and it's a reminder, again, of just how much we don't, we don't deserve 
don't deserve anything from God because sometimes we're not the best at friending. But something Paul says about his friend Onesiphorus here can point us to hope as well. He says, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy. So Onesiphorus needs mercy. And the word mercy, the initial idea is the idea of help. So even though Onesiphorus was a good friend to Paul in this way, that doesn't mean that he wasn't a sinful person like you and like me. We all are people who, who sin, who don't live God's way. Sometimes we contribute to what makes this world broken instead of helping this world to be better. We all then, therefore, are people who deserve justice for our wrong deeds. We all need help, like Onesiphorus. And Paul's prayer is that may Onesiphorus find the help he needs. Help from the Lord. Now, I said the initial idea with this word is help. But there's some other kind of context with it that's pretty cool. This Greek word is often used to translate the Hebrew word from the Old Testament, which refers to God's loving kindness, his mercy, which flows out of his faithfulness. So there's this Hebrew word in the Old Testament, chesed. And I've mentioned this one before, and I love to say it. It's one of those Hebrew words that's just great for clearing your throat, chesed. It's the loving kindness, the covenant love of God. How even though God's people turn away from him and don't follow him, he will continue to help them in their time of need because he has promised to do so. So it's a helpfulness that comes from God that is grounded in his faithfulness to his promises and his people. So when Paul makes this prayer, he can make it Make it with confidence because he knows that we have a faithful God who is here to help in our time of need. We have a faithful God who is the friend that was mentioned in Proverbs 18, 24, the, the, the ultimate friend. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, just to think about, about how our Savior is and who our Savior is. Our Savior Jesus, when he sees our sin, he doesn't say, you know what, I'm staying away from him. He's, he's not ashamed of it, right? He, God the Son became one of us, came and lived amongst us, and didn't just say, he, he didn't just say, oh, I'm not ashamed of you. He said, I'm going to take your shame on me. It's the total opposite. He didn't distance himself from our shame. He took our shame. He said, I don't want you to carry your shame anymore. I'm going to carry it all the way to the cross. And he went to the cross, and he took the justice for your sin and mine, for every way we have failed to be a good friend. He is the ultimate friend who paid for it. He went all the way to take your shame on himself. He sticks with you all the way to the death. You have a Savior who is your ultimate friend. He will never say, I'm ashamed of you, but even though what the world says, he will never say that that's too much or too far. He is there to help, to come close, because he went all the way to the death for you. And it's that same Savior who makes that promise, who made that promise in Matthew 28. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples, and he says what? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, that's one of the, the beautiful, comforting things is we might feel alone, 
But as a Christian, you will never be alone. You might feel isolated, but where you are, Christ is there with you. Next time you're in that moment where you're, you're feeling alone, or maybe you are at work and, and you're the only person speaking up, or you're at the t- dinner table with the family and it's not going well, or maybe you're rocking the baby to sleep and you're by yourself, remind yourself that you're not actually by yourself. That Christ is there with you in that moment. And you are not alone. See, Christ died and rose again so you could be with him again. And we know we have the hope of eternity with him because he rose again. But his desire to be with us doesn't begin at eternity. He begins being with us right here, right now. And you have a friend who comes close, closer than a brother, a friend named Jesus. This is a friend who goes with you and now can work in you to consider again the isolation and the loneliness that sometimes Christians feel. I want to ask this this question for you or, or, or put this verse in front of you again and flip it a bit. Instead of thinking about ways where you feel isolated, I want to encourage you this morning to think, is there anyone in your world who could use a friend? Is there anybody you know of who maybe feels isolated for very, whatever reason? Maybe they're in that setting that isn't very Christian. Maybe the family situation is difficult. Maybe they are at a beautiful time in life that is also challenging. That's what I always remind people when, uh, whenever someone has, brings a new baby into the world. I say, this is a, the people say, this is such a great time of life, and it is. It's also really hard, Right? Maybe there's somebody in your life who you know is having a beautiful but hard season, and they could use, just use someone to reach out and say, hey, I see you. Who in your world could use a friend? And as you think about who in your world could use a friend, remember, remember the greatest friend that they have and that we have. A friend who will always come to help in our time of need because his help is rooted in his faithfulness and his faithfulness will never break down. Remember that we have a friend, that they have a friend, that we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend who is right here with us right now. And here's kind of the cool thing. If you speak to somebody and they are feeling alone, not only can you say that, hey, I'm here to be a friend, you can assure them that their friend Jesus was already right there with them, whether they realize it or not. Today you have a friend who is with you, who has taken away your sin. So you could be with him and he can be here with you. And this friend now wants to partner with you to be the help that those around us need. So today, let's take hold of that. Let's embrace that our greatest friend is here with us. Let's be friends to each other. Who knows? And that's the beautiful thing, the way the church is set up, is if you are intentionally seeking out friending other people, you know what ends up happening? By God's grace, perhaps other people will seek out friending you. And it's this beautiful, that's the way a community is meant to work, right? I friend you, you friend me, but it all starts with Jesus being the friend that we need. That's the power friendly.